0: Genesis chapter 17, starting at verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I'll make my covenant between me and you, and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you, and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner. Those who are not your house or your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money. They must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations kings of peoples will come from her Abraham fell face down he laughed and said to himself will a son be born to a man a hundred years old will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90 and Abraham said to God if only Ishmael might live under your blessing this is the word of the
1: Lord thanks Thanks, Phil Uh, evening everyone please keep your Bibles open at that point uh, page 70 Uh, 17, sorry, uh, of the the Bible. Thank you. Names are funny things, aren't they? Two of my best friends here at Emmanuel have the same name as me. Tim Dutfield, Tim Shackleton, and I are a collective of Tims. I'm not sure what the term is for that. Maybe a torrent of Tims? I don't know. Our full name, Timothy, means God-honouring and is of course shared by Paul's great friend in the New Testament. I'm not sure any of our parents knew that when they chose our names, but I hope we're all doing our best to live up to it. Do you know what the most popular boy's name in the UK was last year? It's been the same for a few years now. It's Mohammed, in all its various spellings. The others in the top 10 in order are Noah, Theo, Leo, Oliver, Arthur, George, Luca, Freddy, and Jack. For the girls, Olivia tops the list, followed by Amelia, Isla, Lily, Ava, Freya, Ivy, Sophia, Grace, and Willow. Names always give you a little insight into a person and into their family. You can't help but form a picture of the person when you hear their name for the first time. For example, I doubt there are many boys born into Christian families called Muhammad. You can also make educated guesses about a person's age from their name. It's no coincidence that we, Tim's at Emmanuel, are all of a similar vintage, or that my daughter, Madeline, has several friends with the same name. Now, names carry special significance in the Bible. The name Emmanuel, for example, means God with us. A very fitting name for a church like ours. God, of course, has many names. Jehovah, Jesus, Abba. When I googled names of God, I found websites with lists of up to a 100 names. In Philippians 2, verse 9, we read this about Jesus. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name there is no greater name than the name of Jesus his name surpasses all others there's no doubt that God is interested in names that stands to reason he wants to have a relationship with us his people and it's all but impossible to have a relationship with someone unless you know their name And here, in our passage tonight, at the very start of the Bible, very near the start of God's salvation plan for humanity, we see him changing a name. Abram, at the ripe old age of 99, suddenly becomes Abraham. So the big question is why? Why did God feel it necessary to make Abram, who had been a faithful servant all his life, Abraham, it's not even that different, is it? If you look at it in Hebrew, on the bottom right of the slide up there, you can see it's just one extra letter. Well, before we answer that, let me pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the names you've given us. Help us understand the meaning of this passage tonight and how you want it to impact our lives. We pray in your name. Amen. In Hebrew, which was the language Genesis was written in, Abram and Abraham have similar but very distinct meanings. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. There's a clear distinction there, isn't it? The name Abraham somehow seems smaller and more personal. The name Abraham is much, much bigger. By changing Abram's name, God is changing his role in the rescue plan for humanity. He is saying that Abraham now has a much greater role than simply being an exalted father in his own family or in his own community. Now he has a role which will make him an exalted father by all who are part of God's kingdom. By all who trust in God's salvation plan to understand how that works we need to look both backwards and forwards in the bible Abram first appears in chapter 12 of Genesis when he's identified as a direct descendant of Noah God directs Abram and his wife who's then called Sarai from his birthplace Ur, at the top of the Persian Gulf to go on a long journey which eventually sees them arrive in Canaan roughly where modern israel is he promises abram he will make great nation he will be a great nation and that he will bless him make his name great and bless those who bless him now i suspect over the course of abram's long life it may not always have felt like that he goes through many trials and tribulations including a journey to Egypt to escape famine, a bust-up with his nephew Lot, and a victorious battle over the Elamites, which he's in rescue Lot. Not long after that, God reiterates his promise to Abram, that he would give him land and descendants more numerous than the stars. Of course, by this time, both Abram and Sarai are getting on a bit, so they were both a little puzzled as to how this would happen. That's when Sarai offers her servant Hagar to Abram and it's by her that he has his first child, Ishmael. We don't need to get into the whys and wherefores of that tonight but that's the Ishmael referred to in the final verse of our passage. Abram, I should point out, is aged 86 when he fathers Ishmael. By the time of our passage, another 13 years has gone by and no more children have come along. I think if I was in Abram's shoes, I'd have been thinking God had a pretty strange way of operating if he was still expecting me to have descendants more numerous than the stars. But God once again reiterates his promise to Abram. There it is, right at the start of chapter 17. Look at it again with me. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. I just want to make a small detour here because I've spoken a lot about Abram and Abraham so far, but perhaps not much about God. But the star of this story is not Abram or Abraham. It's very much God. I don't know if you noticed when the passage was read, but most of it is God speaking. And he uses the word I, my, or me multiple times. I counted more than 20 mentions of those in the 18 verses that we've had read. This passage is all about what God will do for Abram. It has nothing to do with what Abram can do for God, or for what he can achieve by himself. So to be clear, this passage is about what God will do for Abram and ultimately what God will do for all of humanity. God's intention is clear from the start. He wants to leave Abram in no doubt what the plan is. Look again at verses 4 to 6. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. God is saying explicitly to the 99-year-old Abram that he will be the father of many nations. He emphasizes that with the name change. And the scale of this promise is utterly breathtaking. He won't just have lots of descendants, No, whole nations will come from him. Kings will come from him. I cannot imagine what Abram must have thought and felt when he heard God utter those words a mixture of terror, awe, wonder, and complete surrender. Of course, he'd already seen what God could do by allowing him to father Ishmael. But this is on a whole different scale. God is saying again to Abram, he will be the father of nations. Millions and millions of people will be part of his family. God talks a lot in this passage about the covenant he's making with Abraham. In fact, he uses the word covenant 11 times in these verses. So it's clearly an important element of what he's communicating to Abraham. A covenant's not a word we use much today, Uh, So I had to look it up. And one definition is that a formal, solemn, and binding agreement between two parties. It's more than a promise. It's probably more than a contract. It's as formal an agreement as you can have between two parties. In this case, the two parties are God and Abraham. God makes the covenant. He expressly refers to it as my covenant several times. Look at verse 7, for example. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God is making a solemn promise to Abraham that he will be his God and that he will also be the God of all Abraham's descendants. This is a promise made at a particular moment in history, but one which applies to all of history thereafter. This is an everlasting covenant between God and Abraham's descendants. God promises he will give the land of Canaan, to Abraham and his descendants. He says, Abraham is a foreigner in this land at the moment because he originally came from Ur, but that it will be the home of him and his descendants forever. In the second half of our passage, God explains what Abraham must do to fulfil his part of the covenant. And that is to ensure that he and every boy born into his lineage must be circumcised. Let me read again, verses 11 to 14. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, They must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So, God is instructing all, uh, all, Abraham, who is 99, don't forget, and all his descendants to get circumcised. Well, I don't know how that makes the men here feel who have not been circumcised, but I am one of those. I am considerably younger than 99, and I have to say that makes me wince. God is saying that every male child must be circumcised within eight days of being born. Anyone who becomes part of Abraham's household even those he buy, and I presume that means slaves, must also be circumcised. Any male who doesn't submit himself to circumcision will be, I don't think this is a pun, but cut off from God's people. God says that not being circumcised means the covenant is broken. Those who are not circumcised cannot be part of God's people. So how is it that I and any other man who has not been circumcised can today be part of God's kingdom? Why does the covenant God established with Abraham not apply to me? Well, that, as I'm sure you might have guessed, is very much down to the work of Jesus and the way he transforms and extends the covenant made with Abraham. We see how God's promise to make Abraham the father of all nations works out in the rest of the Bible. If we look at the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, we see how he is related to Abraham. I won't ask you to read it, but also in that lineage are some of the big names of the Old Testament, King David and Solomon. Matthew traces a direct line from Abraham and Sarah through their son Isaac to Jesus. But the covenant made with Abraham does not just apply to his direct descendants. It's far broader than that. Even when it was first made, as we've read, it was also with people who are bought into Abraham's family, not just his direct bloodline. Then it extends still further to cover the people of Israel, the people who accept that Abraham's God is their God. Now we know Israel's history through the Old Testament is far from straightforward. Has several backward steps, but God's covenant with his people survives these ups and downs. Yeah, for sure, God gets angry with his people. But his is a righteous anger, and he never abandons his people. He always offers them a way back to a proper relationship with him. A relationship which sees them understand that he is their God, and that he only wants what is best for them. He always offers them. A rescue plan. Of course, that rescue plan is demonstrated in all its fullness by the birth, death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was born into a Jewish family and was himself circumcised. That's revealed in chapter 2 of Luke. His human family very much ensured that he kept the covenant God had made with Abraham. But the arrival of Jesus transforms and extends this covenant. Indeed, it makes it a new covenant. So that not only does it apply to the people of Israel, the Jews, but it also applies to anyone who recognises Jesus as Lord. Fulfilling the very promise God had made to Abraham to make him the father of nations. We see how that happens in the New Testament book of Romans, written after the birth, death and resurrection of Jesus. The writer, the Apostle Paul, goes into immense detail to show how Jesus has made the good news available to everyone. It's no longer a matter of whether you were born into the right family or the right tribe or whether you've been circumcised. Now it is a matter of faith, of who you put your trust in. And Romans 4 is where he addresses this question of Abraham, Abraham and circumcision. Paul starts chapter 4 by talking about Abraham's faith in God. Paul says this is the crucial thing for Abraham, that he had faith in God. I'm going to read this section now, which is Romans 4, 9-12. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Paul makes it clear that God blessed Abraham before he was circumcised. The blessing came as a result of Abram's righteousness, his trust in God. He was blessed while he was still uncircumcised. Verse 11, Paul makes it clear that the purpose of the blessing was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. That's very good news for all of us. It no longer matters whether you're circumcised or not. What matters is whether you, as Paul puts it, walk in the footsteps of the faith. And that applies just as much to women as it does to men. Of course, if God makes a covenant, only God can change that covenant. Jesus can change the covenant God makes with his people because he's God. Only he has the authority to make this change. He has a new covenant with his people. So the question for us tonight is, are we prepared to do as Abram did and walk in the footsteps of faith? Are we prepared to follow the leading of the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender our lives to him? Abraham surrendered completely to God, believing in the promises God had made even to the extent of fathering a child when he was 99. Sure, he laughed about that. and could hardly believe that God would be able to make that happen. But God did. And Abraham did indeed become the father of nations. He trusted God, even when things looked impossible. I know there are many of us here tonight who are going through tough situations, dealing with trauma, grief, Worried about money or work or our relationships. The lesson from this passage is that we must trust God who is at work in even the most awful, impossible situations. If we trust him and walk in the footsteps of faith, he will help us through those dark times and lead us to an assured and eternal future with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the miracles you worked in Abraham's life and that you made him the father of nations. We pray you would help us walk in the footsteps of faith, that we might trust you more fully and follow you more closely. In your name we pray. Amen.